welcome to another All Japan Women Destiny podcast episode. Kay, it's good to be back. Yes, it is. Good to talk about All Japan Women's, especially. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're heading to Mexico in this episode here. Pretty interesting stuff, actually. Yeah, it's uh, got, got a lot of history with Joshi in Mexico. A lot of history, actually. Yeah, so before we begin and go on that, on that journey, welcome back to another episode. This is a spinoff of the Red Leaf Retrocast. Probably going to say that line until the day this ends. <laughs> right. Yeah, that is the main podcast episode. Kay, you are from the Big Egg Joshi podcast, home of the JWP reviews these days. Yes, yes, I am. You can check them out uh, every two weeks over at uh, Big Egg Joshi podcast on all podcast platforms. Yeah, what else is going on over there? Also have the uh, 2010s uh, Joshi that goes up on the Patreon. You get it about two weeks after it goes on Patreon up on the Big Egg Joshi podcast. It's uh, those are um, me and you talking about the Joshi scene starting in 2010. Very interesting stuff over there. Very uh, very interesting, especially when you look at the current times as well. Given that 2010 was a big shift in the scene, and we're seeing a big shift even now in 2021. Yeah, it's basically just a review of the decade and how how much it evolved and came out of the dark ages which is really cool and this podcast this destiny podcast is all about the golden ages <laughs> uh, the complete other way around it's very it's very fun if you want to support our journey in the whole tape trading and doing the research and having a good time sharing the joshi and protecting a little bit of the history Consider joining the Patreon. Dollar fifty tier is the simplest way to support. You get at least three episodes, no, four episodes, uh, just on that tier alone. Alone, and uh, if you want to support us even more, consider the five dollar tier, where you get the JD Star reviews from K over here. Um, pretty soon, I'll be doing LLPW once I finish out the Starcade reviews. I think I've a hundred percent decided on that's going to be my venture. Uh, so you and I, K, will be doing. Kind of a side-by-side -side over the two companies that were direct, well, indirect competitors. <laughs> right, especially because I'm start, starting in 1990 before the split. So it'd be interesting to see how you are when you're at, because you'll be post-split, and I'll have to two years to catch up on that. Yeah, it's, it's a big starting the journey from scratch. We're learning as we go, and I hope everyone learns along with us. And that's what this, you know what, when I first started this All Japan, classics watch it really was learning from scratch you know we all hear we all hear about the famous names you watch a match or two but you never truly dive into it and listening back to the original audio and boy we're in the the heart of the gokaku dome crush gals feud in the summer of 85 here or or the coming out of the spring into the summer of 85 at the boom period when they were making Fuck you, money over an AJW. <laughs> Fuck you, money. I like that phrase. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, listening back to the original audio, which you will hear at the end of the podcast episode that we do for each All Japan Women Destiny. Uh, that is from that is the original audio from the Red Leaf Retrocast, watching all the classics that were found on Samurai TV. Uh, you got from a Google Drive provided by Pieroso Dream that has made its rounds to everybody and... Uh, you know, we have access to the drive, uh, we share the drive, we some we sometimes upload uh, the more historical 
matches and feuds uh, to the Daily Motion page, Red Leaf Retrocast, including some of the Joshi 2010s ones that are just lost the time that we've gotten a hold of. So th- that's what all this is for, is trying to protect the history, and hey, you know, hopefully uh, the channel stays up for a long period of time. <laughs> well, I mean, worst case scenario, you can always go to like something like BitChute if that still exists. Yeah, like, there's, I there's always there's a number of shady sites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, speaking of sharing, we had a fan uh, listen to the previous episode and hit me up on the Twitter. So the Twitter is good for some things, unlike my mentions these days. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh my God, you post out stats, people people have a problem with that. <laughs> Come to find out, people don't like numbers if they don't favor them. Right, right. Yeah. Oh my God. It's it's not the first time this has happened. It won't be the last. I. Look, I'm an engineer. That's my that's my shoot job. Okay, I don't know if you've heard that. Uh, and so I like I like stats. I like numbers. I like crunching things that interest me, uh, especially outside of work. Um, and anyways, famous spreadsheets. Yeah, yeah, my famous spreadsheets that I like doing. And a fan hit me up. I I asked. I I made it clear. I really wanted to see the. Japan Grand Prix 85 match of Dump Matsumoto, Devil Masami. Just curious how they were going to get to that finish. Uh, what they were going to do with the two kind of top heels in the company at the time. Obviously, Dump Matsumoto at this point in time is the de facto top heel. And Devil Masami's kind of kind of uh, going into a more babyface role uh, top of the company as we gear closer to the retirement of Jaguar Yakota. So he hit me up and gave me the match. And we watched it, Kay. Did it is exactly what we expected it to be? Actually, I think it was better than I expected. Oh, it was exactly what I was expecting. It was just violence and shenanigans, and a ref desperately trying to keep control of a match that was never going to have control to begin with. No, we we fully expected this was either I, I believe I predict originally predicted it probably went to a just a straight disqualification, uh, double DQ situation, or a k- double count out. That's usually how they would uh, avoid ba- uh, pinning one, one or the other. And sure enough, I went to a it, the match just got simply thrown out. But the journey of ten minutes to get to that was straight up awesome. Where uh, Dump was cheating anytime Devil Masami would be thrown to the outside, all of Dome would just swarm this poor woman, and she'd try to fight them off. Uh, Dump Matsumoto got a microphone. She's just screaming into that thing and pummeling. Devil Masami in the throat and chest area with it, and it, it it just made such a good audible representation of the violence in the ring, where you just hear the thumping of the microphone on the throat and chest, and you you really felt sympathy and rooting for Devil Masami to kind of overcome. And uh, th- this is just my speculation, but could this Matt? We saw glimpses of Devil Masami's turn away from the heel character in probably late 84 and going through 85 here with Dump Matsumoto now taking the role as top heel. Uh, This match to me seemed like a real kind of double, not a double turn, a turn situation for Masami to start becoming the big baby face. You think that's out of of line and sane? I think that match was probably done specifically for that with how it was structured. Because Devil Masami didn't come in looking like a, a face. She came in kind of Got that same heel aura to her throughout the course of getting her 
you know, getting beat on by Dump Matsumoto, who's at this point taking the, the heel shtick that Masami was doing, which was pretty much just being big and mean and just adding violence to it, which makes it easier to sympathize with someone like Devil Masami. It, I think that's exactly what that was for. And it's funny that you say that because I'm watching Devil Masami in 1990 JWP, and she is a full-blown babyface with crowd chants and everyone loving her. Yeah, she hasn't reached her, her uh, zombie-like gimmick yet, I take it. Uh, no, she just put on extra weight and became more of a powerhouse. Yeah, there you go. So the other thing in this match, which I absolutely loved, was Dump Matsumoto gets her awesome kendo stick that she's oh so in love with, and Devil Masami pulls out her kind of practice, uh, not not kendo sword. I guess, I guess you could call it a kendo sword. It's it's a wooden sword, basically. And it's a practice katana, as they use when they win. Okay, thank yes. you. Thank you. And they they have. I mean, this this ref was he was he wearing green pants or red pants? I don't remember. He normally wears red, but in this match he was wearing green. I've dubbed him Christmas pants guy because they're red or, red or green. So I you know. love that description, Christmas pants guy. That's what uh, that's Xmas pants. That's what that's what I'll call him, Xmas pants. Xmas Xmas pants with the fro. Xmas fro pants. Uh, <laughs> He just has zero control. He is clearly in the pocket of Gokaku Dome. But if the match gets out of hand, he kind of just doesn't have a choice. He's like, yeah, this match is out. So Masami and Dump are standing in the middle of the ring having a fucking samurai showdown <laughs> in the ring. And they do something straight out of like Hikaru Shida's uh, Makai show <laughs> where they're, they're swinging left, they're swinging right. Epic! over the head <laughs> swing of the sword blocked with the knee down <laughs> was fantastic i i think i said this just needs star wars music or epic samurai music dubbed over it and it would oh, be perfect that would be funny oh god that it was it was great they they go to blows and yeah it does get dq'd uh or thrown out fantastic match the the ref, anytime the ref got involved he he was he got he got a licking for his trouble just great. I it's exactly what you kind of want out of the eighties and what you expect. It matches the booking. It matches the stories being told. Uh, you know, there is such a thing as putting your mindset of the times. Right, you have to look at it from the era that it's in, not the era that it's. Not to say that there isn't relevance to looking at something with modern eyes in something from the past. There absolutely is merit in that, but or I should say, however, if something clearly worked in the time, you have to look at it in that time. You can't, I don't think it's really fair to, uh, to criticize something that clearly worked of its era. Get what I'm saying? Well, I think, yeah, I know I get what you're saying, but I, I mean, personally, I look at AJW and all the stuff that they did, and it hasn't aged poorly one bit, so I can't see how anybody could apply modern stuff to it and think it's bad by default. I think it's better than some of the wrestling we see nowadays, both in the States and in Japan of it. Like some of it's booked so well that it's, you know, I'll be honest. I think some of this AJW booking is better than modern new Japan booking. <laughs> uh, as an example. Yeah. So this classics episode, uh, as, as I do in the description of each podcast episode, I throw up the, the match card of the classics. So this one is from April to May, 1985. So it is in the spring heading into summer. 
we're in, like I said uh, before, we are in the heated, heated feud of the Dump Matsumoto uh, crew against the Crush Gals. And the first match that was discussed was the two out of three falls match, Dump Matsumoto and Crane U versus the Crush Gals uh, from April 2nd, 85. Then the next two matches are from a show in Mexico at the Do Cuatro Caminos, uh, uh, or El Toreo uh, de Cuatro Caminos, uh, Mexico, May 12th, 1985. And then just days later, the Crush Gals versus Dump and Bull Nakano, May 16th, 1985. And I believe, did a little research, I believe Crane U became a heavy referee. Like, she played the heavy role, a uh, ref. Um, that's why there was multiple refs in that last match. That's why Green Pants, or Xmas Pants was involved. Uh, Crane was trying to provide some sort of, I guess, equality, call it, trying to call it down the line. Uh, these were all tag title matches, uh, and uh, Jaguar Yakota versus uh, Pantera Serena was uh, a main match in Mexico, which I really enjoyed, and upon second watch, I <laughs> really enjoyed it even more a second time. Um, didn't go into a lot of details the first time I watched it. Uh, obviously not familiar with uh, Lucha Libre women. <laughs> of the of the era, so I wanna I wanna say some interesting. I I know you have your uh, uh, lucha libre history. You want to say, but I I do want to say something else before you go into it into that. K. Go ahead, go ahead. So, in the Crush Gals versus Lola Gonzalez Rosa Maria match, uh, still wasn't able to find much of anything on Rosa Maria. Lola Gonzalez, we've seen her before on a classics episode, and. She seems to be one of the major luchadoras of the era, uh, huge in CMLL, and she was a major rival for Pantera Serena and a number of other, like Lady Apache, uh, a number of other uh, famous luchadoras of the era. She was, she was a main attraction. She was a star. She lost a uh, hair versus mask match in 1977, so that should give you a an idea of how long she had been doing it already by 1985 here. Um, and if I look further, like she did a lot of hair matches. She never had a mask, uh, from uh, what I was able to research. She did. Let's see. No, she won the hair versus mask match against uh, Pantera Serena. I, I am mistaken. Um, but she would, let's see, she would lose one, two uh, hair matches in her career. Just two. So that was one of her specialties. She was a big star. So the two times she did lose, she lost to uh, Rocio Urbina. And Ima Aguilar, whom I believe is actually another pretty famous luchadora of the era, uh, didn't last. Didn't uh, I believe uh, the career wasn't as long. I'm really gonna have to dive further into luchadoras of the era, but uh, UWA was heavily involved. The um, Universal Wrestling Association, which 
Kate, correct me if I'm wrong, that has some history in Joshi wrestling as well, right? Yes, their titles as of 1990 when my JWP1 are actually in JWP being that's featured right. as their as the main belts in the company. That's right. Also that's right. had a brief appearance in AJW, LLPW. Those belts got around is what I'm trying to say. So a couple other names that uh, do show up in Joshi. Rossi Moreno uh, is another one that we see pop up quite a bit. So you're you when you initially hear all these names, you're like, man, I don't know a lot about Mexico. But when you associate them with CMLL, AJW, and UWA, you start seeing these names pop up a lot more. And those are the biggest stars, which I was I have been pressed to find if the Apache family, whom is a famous, famous Luchadora family, uh, had extensive careers in AJW. And I was not able to confirm that. And that seemed uh. to be the biggest uh the biggest um star that just wasn't involved so it's funny you say that because i only think one of them to my knowledge even wrestled in japan for a length of time that was fabi apache she wrestled in uh, arsian right. yeah that's the only one i can think of so very in i thought that was an interesting little stat and the last one i want to mention is pentana serena okay and upon my first watch i just thought it was a different person okay and i was really impressed this is La Galactica from the hair versus mask and title match uh, from the very first episode, which was quite enjoyable. But in Mexico, they wrestled an incredibly good Lucha Libre style mixed in with some mat work, which I vastly enjoyed. And I love how Jaguar Yakota clearly has this Lucha Libre to her arsenal, and you really saw it shine uh, in the first fall, in the second fall, and into the third fall. Uh, doing roll-throughs, kip-ups, flips. It's super fun to watch. Yeah, maybe they went to the mat a little bit more, but there was there was nice legwork involved. So Pantana Serena, <laughs> if we're if we're going by whom I have a lot of respect for and do enjoy watching, it's her. I'm I'm really I'm really surprised. I've I've uh, uh, found a former. AJ, uh, 3WA champion. AJ, I was about to say AJW, that's a different title. <laughs> that's, their, that's their junior belt. Yeah, yeah, 3WA title. So I'm, I'm curious if, uh, I'm curious to find if I can, if I can see some of the Lola Gonzalez, uh, Pantana Serena matches I'm, I'm, and even a Rossi Moreno match, uh, in the future. But now is not the time. Kay, you have the floor to say your little, uh, piece of history here. So, it's funny that we're talking about Mexico and Joshi in Mexico. Uh, Joshi has a long and storied history with Mexico, actually. A lot of wrestlers go there for excursions, even up to this day, mm -hmm. with Sakushi being the last one that I can at least think of top of my head that went in uh, early 2020 before the pandemic hit. Ah, uh, yes. Um, Kaho, Kaho Kawayashi went. Hanakomura went. Um, Io Shirai went before she signed officially with Stardom. Uh, Mayu and Kyrie kind of went, if you count Lucha Underground as anything, but they didn't really do extensive tours over there. Io did. And the one thing that's always sort of been seen when it comes to Mexico and Joshi is whenever you go there, you go there to level up. And usually when Joshi come back, they have leveled up. Uh, biggest case that I can think of off the top of my head is Kaho. Kaho left. She was an okay wrestler, right? She was okay. She had speed to her. You see the potential, but she didn't 
nothing ever took off took her off right she had nothing that sort of stood out to you outside of just her potential mm-hmm. she comes back from mexico and she's a goddamn star full of charisma full of lucha moves and adds the lucha to her high speed it makes her this wicked crazy good wrestler that i feel like it was really underrated uh we see it with sakushi actually sakushi's always been very very good but i mean i don't know if you've noticed this but since she's come back from the mexico tour she's uh been on another level altogether oh yeah you saw the immediate improvement and it's pretty it's pretty amazing how just adding kind of a flip and flare to your to your arsenal really changes your presentation as a wrestler and you always see the wrestler come back with a lot more confidence as well right um eo is also the probably though we've seen eo in the 2010s episodes right eo is this we see how just how gifted she is just naturally gifted at wrestling right yeah she's a wild child that's the thing yeah yeah she's a prodigy just wants to jump she needs to (laughs) she she needs to be reined in that's her her biggest problem she did so much but needed to sort of rein it all in a little bit she's a prodigy she did her tour, I believe it was 2015, 2015, 2016. No, 2015. It was before she signed with them and everything, with Sardom. She came back. Guess what she came back as? The best women's wrestler on the planet from that point forward. Says a lot. She came back from Mexico, signed with Stardom, and immediately became the best women's wrestler on the planet. It's, it's nuts, that right there. Hanukamura, actually, when she came back, her in-ring didn't improve a whole lot. I think her in-ring style just didn't mesh well with the Lucha stuff that she was trying to incorporate at the time. But I think she came back with buckets load more charisma than she already freaking had at the time, which was nuts. And we didn't see it initially because I think she was trying to go for something else, right? She was trying to channel a different thing. It didn't work. Fans didn't click. The minute she pivoted back into that charisma, I mean, she went nuts. So I saw her live right as she had made that turn. Oh, yeah. We York. all did. And, you, you and me both did, actually. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing her dance in the street as everyone was waiting out. Just like that. Immediately she popped out. I was like, holy shit. This person is like not so charisma. And then seeing her live right in front of my face. Yeah, I, I think I became a big Hanukkah fan that day. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, it's nuts how much going to Mexico has improved a lot of wrestlers. Those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more. But there's a long history with the, the Mexico excursion. You also see some promotions working with like promotions like CMLL. Uh, the two biggest ones are Reina. Uh, it still technically exists, but it was uh, a big promotion that was involved heavily with CMLL to the point where its belt was the same belt that CMLL used for their women's division for a while there. Reina Duran's belt. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so that was that was the main title in Reina for a long, long time. Um, and then we see it with uh, Tehanma, her project J- um, Jast, just her and Hikari Shimizu working directly with CMLL to produce joint shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's yeah. a whole lot of that working together with Mexico and stuff. Yeah, so. you saw some excursions the other way around too, where you see some uh, see some luchadoras uh, show up in Ice Ribbon, and they do yeah, a little yeah. they do a little tour in Japan. Uh, you see it with a lot of the men's promotions as well. New Japan uh, probably being New Japan and Dragon Gate being probably the top two. Dragon Gate with the Ultimo Dragon connection with all his schools and promotions in Japan or uh, Mexico, and then New Japan with its connection with CMLL. So it's it's not just the women, but uh, would it be? I would like to see. I I would like to see more excursions to foreign countries. Uh, I think I I always think that just really benefits a wrestler in 
I mean, you saw it with Okada when he came back from his horrid excursion in TNA, right? And he comes back to New Japan, and they just pushed him to the moon immediately. Initially, there was a lot of fans that were against it, but you just you just knew he had what it took, right? Uh, it's just an just an example. You always you see it with um, the other way around. Diamante from Mexico goes to Dragon Gate, uh, becomes twice the wrestler he was. Uh, just um, it's really cool stuff. Uh, I really like the Sakushi reference. Uh, if we're putting the modern times on it, Kaho is really good. So yeah, uh, very uh, very fun topic that we got to dive into here. A little more about the matches. Crane U, I believe, is now retired at the end of April, and that's why we see her transition and kind of phasing out of All Japan. And this is the opportunity now officially of Bull Nakano becoming the number the number one henchman behind uh, Dump Matsumoto here. His commentary keeps putting over the number two. Right. Number two in Gokako Dome. And she will no longer be the number two anymore. So that's really cool. The Crush Gals are heavy, heavy over. It is just incredible the amount of crowd reaction they're getting. Um, probably the the best shot on this entire show is the uh, main event of this classic episode. That's the uh, Dump Matsumoto Bolnikano match against the Crush Gals, where Dump Matsumoto has I say I say in my original review, uh, Dump had a kendo stick. She actually had a like a metal baton <laughs> as she had the chain wrapped around. She goes to Nagayo, and the camera keeps panning to the crowd, and there's, like, frightened teenage girls just screaming for their hero, Nagayo, to valiantly escape and fight back against this evil dump. <laughs> oh, yeah, did you know Chikusa Nagayo was really, really fucking over? Really popular, and now we're starting to see... Linus Asuka really start to shine too. Everything's kind of rubbing off on her. She's really rapidly improving in ring. She's got her big swing down, as we saw in the match against Bull Nakano, where she was just whipping her around the ring faster than ever. Uh, epic little fly out when she releases. It's real fun to see. You can tell that immediately became one of her trademark moves that she would do for the rest of her career. It's really fun stuff. Uh, what else? What else is there to mention here? Um, the '80s look is incredibly strong <laughs> with Dome. Oh yeah, it's it's nuts just how how like Mad Max '80s everyone looked, Rockstar '80s even too. They all Kakudome looked, the shaved heads and everything. Shit, yeah, the half shaved heads, the the writing all. Uh, uh, the the fake tattoos over Dump Matsumoto's body. I really like that touch that she does, where it's not permanent tattoos, right? I wish more wrestlers would do this, where they just paint their body in different things for different matches. Dump always did that, and it gave her a nice, just fun edge to her that made her look more terrifying, depending on the situation. And this this feud of Dump and her henchmen against the Crush Gals is so hot. It's incredible, and it's just building one thing after another. They're they're switching the tag titles, uh, DQ finishes, uh, always because they can't stop fighting. They just the the rules can't contain them. They need multiple refs at this point to try to keep the the match in line. 
including Dump and her paid-off heel ref. They got big heavy refs. Uh, still, again, I think that's Crane U now. I'm still not sure. Uh, feel free, people, to correct me if I'm wrong. I really need to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what Crane U's involvement was after she retired. I think she just kind of disappeared. Oh, she definitely just disappears. I mean, that's what a lot of them end up happening. They might have a retirement ceremony on the classics, might not. Uh, but usually they just uh, they just go to the wasteland because there's nowhere else to work, which is really sad. Yeah, that's why um, it's why it's it's good that a promotion like JWP ended up cropping up. It's they never like it when it's just one promotion ruling the roost because then no one gets opportunities to do shit outside of it. They can't really make it in that one promotion. So that's that's a great topic to bring up because as we get closer to the retirements and we start learning more about you know the fallout of it all, especially since we're we've been going through it since uh, 1988, 89, and now in 90, 1990 on the Red Leaf Retrocast part of the the podcast where you just see the damage done, right? And when we start seeing it happening in the mid 80s here, because there's no other promotion, okay. If we've spoken about injuries before, where if you get injured, your spot is lost because the competition is so high within the promotion and there's nowhere else to work. The other issue, naturally, is once you're out, you're out. There's nothing else to do. There's nowhere to go. You're at the mercy of this one Monopoly-like promotion. And it's going to be more interesting now in a second retrospective as we get closer to the Jumping Bomb Angels and their excursion. So an episode about excursions here. Uh, the um, uh, the Yumi Ogre team, the Canadian, uh, the, the, the Canadian Typhoons. Calgary, Calgary, Calgary typhoons, typhoons. Calgary Typhoons. We'll see uh, their development and how they come back. Because uh, I, I definitely didn't see... I didn't see the uh, notes in the music the first time through. I was still, I was still very much learning the basics, if you will. And who, who, uh, Dynamite Girls. We're gonna see kind of where their roles, uh, what their roles become, uh, especially Yukari Omori. <laughs> that's a, that's a name we'll be getting soon enough. Because AJW has to make stars when these people leave. Devil Masami and Jaguar Yakota being the top two here. And right upon second watch, we're gonna we're gonna start seeing that. But right now we're in we're focused on Dump versus Nagayo. That is yeah, we are. Number, that is prime target one in this promotion, and it is it is hot. It is exciting. The matches, you know, the matches aren't meant to be classics. That's what Jaguar Yakota's for, as we saw with the Pantera Serena match. I do recommend that match. Go out of your way to watch that one. The Dump Nagayo match. It's clearly best for business. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. I wanna wanna mention one thing because you had mentioned when wrestlers are out of the out, they're out right. That uh that kind of reminded me of something that I remember reading going through my my AGW research when I was doing that episode over my big Joki podcast. There was a interesting excerpt from one of the former wrestlers. It didn't name them; they were anonymous. But um, how hard life is once you don't make it. Because most of these girls, don't, they like either go through, they leave junior high, some of them, to join up. The minute they get accepted as a trainee, they end up dropping out of junior high school because you can't, they end up dropping or finishing junior high and not going to high school. Because you can't juggle both. Right. 
but a lot of these girls didn't have futures. Either had to work at like gyms, some of them had to work at less than savory places. The person in question ended up having to work at what's called a soap land in Japan, which if you know anything about that, that's mm-hmm. a very shady, that's like prostitution essentially. Um, and it's very, it's very interesting. Well, shit, Grizzly Emoto becomes a dominatrix. <laughs> I, I think that was by choice. Ah, just come on. <laughs> I'm just going to go on and live with Grizzly. I think she I think she likes beating the fuck out of people, and she found a way to make a living off of that outside of wrestling. Uh, had to, had to say the, it. Had to say it. Uh, yeah, 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 I got you. I got you. But the wrestler wasn't named, and I'm assuming they didn't name themselves because they were probably someone that was kind of known on the card and is now working at a soap plant. It probably doesn't want that known. It's very sad, I remember, because you mentioned that just struck that in my brain again. It's just, man, JWB existing was probably for the best. It's always good to have a competition. When they're just one promotion rules the roost, everything goes sideways. It's not good for anything. Yeah, we've we've seen the damage over the last two decades here in here in uh, the United States with a certain company. Uh, not worth going into, but definitely worth mentioning. And AJW being the only game in town, it definitely had its drawbacks. Let's let's not. Let's not kid ourselves. This was run by very, very shady people. <laughs> yeah, the people that were not in it for the, the promotion, in it for the money. Hence why we get them milking the crush cows until the last second and then wondering, oh no, our cash cow's gone and we didn't make another one. Being right blinded now by riding, profits they're was the problem. high as a kite. They're making a oh, lot yeah. of money. These crowds are <laughs> full. They're running big arenas. Uh, they're they're selling out. There's there's women in the crowd just left and right. It's probably op uh, complete opposite ratio of what it is today. <laughs> oh yeah, for the most part, definitely. I think you could do a, a complete dissertation on how the Matsunaga brothers had they sold AJW, that company could very well still be in business now. But they're. I mean, there's more than one issue. Clearly, the finances were the, the one that ended up killing it in the end. Oh, it was literally a company right? run by carnies. Of... Literally uh, carnies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like literally they, they ran the fucking carnival business when wrestling was still going through the carnivals and shit in Japan. They ran a carnival and then pivoted to this. But you're, you're not kidding. But it's like if they had sold that company off, now I don't know who would have bought them. I feel like AJW could have been around. Their finances killed this company. Other things led to the finances just being worse. You know, not making new talent, attendance being oh, yeah. gone. They, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's it's a it's yeah. a it's a it's a host of re- a big list of reasons why. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, Kay. Yeah. I think that does it. I think that does. <laughs> let's uh, let's let's play the original audio. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Minami Toyota, love your music. Really gets me hyped to talk about the All Japan Women Classics from Kyosha Dream and Samurai TV. This is episode six. A slew of months have passed. Uh, we are up to 1985. It is April 2nd, venue Aichi. Uh, we start with the three, the three WA tag titles. It's a two and a three falls match. It is... Still, Dump Matsumoto and Crane Yu, champions taking on Lioness Asuka and Chigusa Nagayo, the Crush Gals. Uh, 
It's exactly what you expect this to, to be. It is Dump Matsumoto and Crane Yu going rough shot over the Crush Gals. And eventually, uh, it leads to the match just being thrown out. And that kind of sets up uh, a month later uh, a rematch. Well, it sets up a rematch where uh, the Crush Gals win the titles back. And then the next month, uh, Dump Monsumoto and Crane Yu are no longer. Crane Yu, I think, retired. And that brings in a special guest. So. Yeah, it just it just got crazy with the kendo sticks and everything in this in this match. Um, at this point, I'm, fi- I'm I'm now in the six episodes, and if you've listened to the previous five, they all kind of go the same way with these two out of three fall matches. Uh, Dump Matsumoto's group uh, goes crazy with the interference, gets a fall. Crush Gals fight back, get the second fall almost immediately. They have a third fall where Dump. Uh, and the crew will do some hardcore spots. And then in the end, one gets isolated, and the Crush Gals uh, run roughshod over the isolated person, and they get the third pinfall. In this case, it just gets thrown out. Too many, uh, it just got uh, out of hand, and the ref announces something or another about the tag titles, whether they were stripped of them or something. Uh, not sure. The two interesting matches actually came from Mexico, of all places, 1985, May 12th. Uh, This was highlighted by the Crush Gals going up against... uh, Now, 100% honest here, I know nothing about uh, women's wrestling from Mexico in the 80s. I know, shocking. Not really on my list of historical things I have looked up. So this was new like no idea who these people are crush gals are against lola gonzalez and rosa maria and the mexican duo i'm assuming they're mexican just because it's in mexico it could be from any place in latin america or south america you well let's just go with it uh i didn't think they were that great but the crush gals made them look good if, if that's the case. A uh, lot of submission holds, a lot of shoot wrestling styles. Uh, I just don't have a lot to say about it because I just don't know who these two are that the Crush Gals are against. It was just a lot of holds. Uh, I just couldn't get into it. So then, But the one match I could get into was the 3WA Championship, two out of three falls, Jaguar Yakota against Patera... Serena, whom was real good. She's a star. This was a wrestling match. So, Jaguar Yakota was actually on the defensive the most of the time. Patero Serena had this... You know what? I talked about Jake Lee at the top of the show with All Japan Wrestling and how he has this like kickboxing style. That's kind of what Serena did. She would kick the legs out of Yakota. Yakota would sell it like a million dollars. Like, it's the most devastating thing she's ever felt. Serena, Serena would follow up with knee holds and knee bars and uh, half crabs. Everything she did was working on Jaguar Yakota's legs. It just built up to the babyface comeback. Jaguar Yakota 
comes back and she hits this. It's not the J driller and it's not a tombstone. It's like a reverse tiger driver that she just dumps Pateras Reina right on her fucking head. It just looked like she killed her. And I was convinced she died. <laughs> this looks horrid. Uh, I should really make a gif of this uh, and put it on Twitter at Bowling JD. Uh, Redley Fretchercast. So Jaguar does the half shoot pin, and it looks like Patera twitches because she's like got feeling back in her body or something. It was, oh, it's a very good match. Jaguar Yakota is ungodly good. Uh, you know, Chigusa Nagayo is the most over person I've I've watched in the in these eighties rewatches with the NWA and all Japan women now. But Jaguar Yakota is the best wrestler I have seen in this, and she's she's never disappointed. Cut to May sixteenth, nineteen eighty five, in Saitama. We have a rematch of the Crush Gals in a two out of three falls tag titles. Uh, they are the tag champions this time. And Dump Matsumoto's no longer partners with Crane Yu. Now she has Bull Nakano in her corner with her. Bull Nakano's got the half-shaven hair. Uh, Dump Matsumoto and Bull have uh, kind of rainbow coloring in their hair now. Very 80s. Um, Bull Nakano also has crazy Japanese writing on her skull all the way down her face. It's it's a look. And Bull Nakano has thick thighs. She's wearing a singlet, and she looks like she can kick your head off. She doesn't have any kicks in her arsenal. She still seems pretty green a lot about a lot of things. Uh, but she's coming across as a big future star. You could already tell whether... I think she's like 18... At this point, 1985, don't quote me on that, but she is young. And this is all about, uh, essentially, Dump Matsumoto pulling the weight, letting the st- letting Bull Nakano kind of get her licks in every now and again. Uh, Nagayo had a lot of time with Bull, Nag- Bull Nakano in the ring, so you can see kind of a dynamic building there. Uh a lot of hardcore, you know, and then it, and then it goes like every other match I've seen. Um, it was just kind of reversed this time with the champions get the first fall, then the heels get the second fall, and then the hardcore spot sit, sits in. What this one was cool was Dump Matsumoto gets a chain and a kendo stick. And she proceeds... Now, the kendo stick did come in in the first match at the top of this classic episode. And she was, like, throwing the, the stick in Asuka's eye, holding her hostage. She was hitting refs. Uh, in this one, she just had a fucking chain around Chigusa's leg uh, and pulling her, like, between the ropes and then just hitting her with the stick. It was brutal-looking. I love Dump Matsumoto in her I'm-gonna-fucking-kill-you attitude. It is awesome. Now, do I agree with the whole heel ref and third and fourth refs on the outside that is baffling uh in this re- in in this uh history taking watch i don't know what it's all about the heel ref coming in and breaking up a double sharpshooter 
uh, well, no. Nagayo had the sharpshooter, and Asuka had a uh, figure four leg lock. And then a heel ref comes in, slaps them both out of the, the thing. Uh, but in the end, um, Crush Gals get do get the win. It It is definitely my most divisive uh, All Japan Classics that I've seen so far. Um, I'm getting a little overexposed to watching the Crush Gals every single episode with kind of the same dynamic match. Um, so hopefully with episode 7, get maybe a Bull Nakano singles match again or maybe see another Jaguar Yakota. You know, someone else. Uh, I get the Crush Gals are like the big draw. Uh, maybe maybe even a different opponent because, you know, the I think it was the Dynamic Girls like that kind of so uh here's here's hope and fingers crossed and that was all japan